Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Genthy, and we have a great show lined up for you today. Going to talk a bit about Sony, a little bit of Microsoft, some esports, and then I uh, have a great viewer question. So let's go ahead and get started. So, the first news story that I have today is actually in regards to Sony. Apparently, Sony filed a uh, trademark for the term Let's Play. Um, and it was rejected by the trademark and patent office, stating that it was too similar to another trademark, Let's Play, that actually had a Z in place of the S. And the trademark office determined that it was too similar and covered the same thing. So it was denied. So Sony now has the option to appeal that decision or just let it go. So it's not the same as copyright. I imagine if somebody tried to copyright the term Let's Play, Hopefully anybody could go online and see that Let's Play is a pretty common term that everybody already uses, and you shouldn't be able to copyright that. Um, trademarks are a little different. Now, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. I guess if there wasn't a Let's Play with a Z, Sony would own the trademark for Let's Play. Um, but the more important question or the more interesting thing is why. Why would Sony want to try and trademark a term that a big portion of their audience probably already uses or may use as part of their business or you know make videos on YouTube using the PlayStation 4 and streaming to Twitch and things like that um, but it definitely kind of reminded me of the late 90s um, when and maybe it still happens fanboys arguing about which company is evil and who is better and oh so-and-so did this and Sega's the best and what have you during the early days of the Dreamcast I guess all of the Dreamcast days were early Sega fanboys really hated Sony and we thought it was an evil company and they were doing unethical things to kind of promote the PlayStation 2 and crush Sega. So that was things like selling the PlayStation 2 at a loss, which obvious is everybody does now. But back then we thought there was something really evil about that. Um, and they even promises that weren't lived up to. So like the PlayStation 2 didn't have a million units at launch. Um, the original PlayStation, Sony advertised that it would do Jurassic Park-like fidelity with uh, 3D rendering. Obviously that's just not possible, not true, totally fabricated. Um, even the PlayStation 3, they promised like dual HDMI and three Ethernet ports and a bunch of other things that were just kind of never going to be there because they didn't make any sense, but they kind of hyped it up and, and went with it anyway. Um, so that's kind of what the story reminded me of. I don't get why someone like Sony, a video game company, would try and trademark the term Let's Play. I could see like Twitch or YouTube or somebody that would have a business need to kind of own that or want that, ethics aside, but uh, like Microsoft or Nintendo or Sony trying to, to trademark that term is really weird. What would they do if it went through? Would they be able to, to go after uh, content creators and say, no, this is our trademark, you're infringing on it, these need to go? Is it a way, I don't know, maybe it's something for good? Maybe, I guess I can't think of anything. I don't, I don't get why. So if you can think of any logical reason why Sony would want that trademark, um, let me know. I don't see it, and I thought it was a really interesting story. So the next story I want to talk about is actually Microsoft. So we kind of made fun of Sony a little bit. Let's go ahead and poke fun at Microsoft. So, whoops. 
So, back in 2005, the Xbox 360 uh, was launched, probably a year prematurely. Microsoft wanted that head start against Sony and Nintendo, hoping to, to get an advantage in that generation of game consoles. Unfortunately, the hardware wasn't very reliable. Um, so, very quickly, people's Xbox 360s started overheating and then dying, the, the red ring of death. You'd go to turn it on, you would have three lit up red lights instead of uh, the four green ones and the console would launch up. So I got my 360 on launch day. I waited in line at Walmart for eight hours. I was seventh in line. They had 10 units, so I got mine. No memory card or anything, so I couldn't save games those first couple of days, but whatever. And then uh, these reports started happening and I felt pretty lucky that my 360 was still alive. A year had passed, I'm out of warranty, and it finally dies. But thankfully, Microsoft uh, extended the warranty on those consoles to three years instead of one. So I got it fixed. Microsoft lost like a billion dollars or something like that to, to right the wrongs they made by releasing this hardware that was kind of premature and melted. And... Uh, yeah. So while my Xbox 360 was with Microsoft getting repaired or replaced or whatever it was that they did with it, I actually bought a second Xbox 360. And of course, after a year, like 13 months later or something stupid like that, it red ringed. And so I had to buy another one. So I have a... The third one, the one I still use to this very day, is a used one. It's not one of the new slimmer ones. It was like the last, one of the last batches of old ones that they made, which I kind of like better. It's kind of got that neat, I don't know, inhale design or whatever they called it, but that's what I have. That brings us into a second issue that Microsoft had with the 360 console, and that was scratched discs. So, the Xbox 360, like the PlayStation 2 or Wii, um, PlayStation 3 maybe, I don't remember, um, you could lay it down flat or you could have it up. If a disc was in there while you did that and it was spinning, it would scratch the disc. So people that was another report of scratch discs and then people were like okay don't move the console when you have a disc in it which to me seems like common sense i've never had a desire to move around a console while a disc was inside spinning but whatever people weren't expecting it people had their discs scratched and microsoft obviously had to fix that and um, i remember when i bought my second xbox 360 there was actually a sticker on it I believe it was a sticker, it might have been like a note, basically saying don't move the Xbox when you have a disc inside it, otherwise it's going to get scratched. But ever since then, um, they've been battling lawsuits. So, uh, I don't know much about all these cases, because that's not the interesting part, but... Um, They've had class action lawsuit against them. It was thrown out. An appellate court said, no, they can. This is just in regards to whether they can have a class action lawsuit or not. Um, and then an appellate court said, no, you can. there can be a class action lawsuit. This, this can proceed. And then uh, Microsoft then appealed that to the Supreme Court of the United States. And that's kind of where we're at now. So I think it was either this morning or yesterday, maybe Friday. Um, big news was that the Supreme Court is going to hear the case on whether or not the class action lawsuit can actually move forward. So that's not even, we're not even to the point where it starts and Microsoft is either innocent or guilty and has to pay out money. We're still at the phase of can there even be one to begin with? 
Um, so that's interesting. You know, the console is 11 years old now, and I'm sure this will go on in the courts forever. But the real interesting thing for me is the, the consumer protection versus common sense aspect of it. So I think consumer protection laws um, are really important. Um, you know, the safety of our products. We don't want things coming over from China with like lead paint or, you know, toxic materials, <clears throat> things like that. We should be protected. That's that's why we have a government, and that's part of its job. And I support that. But then the other aspect of it is common sense. Um, to me, it's common sense that if there's a disc spinning in your console, you shouldn't be moving it around, right? Um, I don't know why you would think that was safe. Like to me, it's just obvious. It, it never crossed my mind that oh, I might want to move this while there's a game inside. That's just crazy. I guess maybe if you had an NES as a kid, you knew that if you bumped the NES, your game would start blinking and you'd have to start over. So you just kind of knew you couldn't touch your console while it was doing its thing. And maybe that is kind of lost with uh, more reliable hardware. I don't know. So I'm kind of on the common sense side of the fence where it's like if you got a disc scratched, you learn your lesson and you move on. I don't know if that's necessarily a hardware flaw or whether Microsoft should be responsible for those discs. I'm just not sure, but let me know what you think. Moving on, the next thing I want to talk about is actually eSports. Now, I am not big into watching uh, video game competitions online. Like, I've, I've tried watching, like, uh, Evo fighting games and stuff like that. You know, there's commentators and, um, you know, guys and gals, you know, playing games competitively. That is interesting. Don't necessarily like watching it, um, but I think it's cool that our kind of hobby is turning into like this uh, this global thing, this global competition. It adds some legitimacy to it that might have been missing, say, in 1990, even with like the Nintendo World Championships. So ESPN, or maybe ESPN2 might be the more appropriate term, um, is actually broadcast some of these competitions i believe league of legends i'm not an expert on this but i know they've they've put this on espn and treated it like a sport and we call it esports or electronic sports and there's um you know big arenas built in like asian countries uh, much like here in america we would have football stadiums or, or basketball stadiums or in europe you have you know football fields and things like that and i think it's really cool and i think that's probably you know with things like safety um you know the competition is kind of moving in that direction right like we don't kill each other for sport now um, you know, like they did during the Gladiator days. And it, it, things kind of evolve and things kind of move, and I find that exciting, especially with, like, video games, something I'm very passionate about. But people really, some people got really upset when ESPN did this because they don't view esports as regular sports, and they don't think ESPN should be broadcasting video game competitions. Um, no matter how popular they are, they just get really offended. Like, no, these are a bunch of nerds that belong in their parents' base we shouldn't be celebrating this competition on TV. You know, stuff that we've all heard, being nerds, our hobbies. You know, everyone watches comic book movies, so, you know, we're kind of winning. Um, so, actually, a guy named Colin Cowherd um, actually made some really mean comments, like basically what I just said on ESPN, basically stating ESPN shouldn't do this, and I'll be damned if I ever have to cover a competition like this, which I find... That's fine if that's the way you feel. Um, I'm not sure 
you know, if, if blasting your, your company who, who pays your checks and being so blind to the future is what you should be doing, especially making fun of people saying they belong in, you know, their parents' basements. Um, he left the company. I don't know if he was pushed out, but it all kind of worked out in the end. Um, but it really got me thinking, like, you know, to me, it's just obvious, you know, yeah, if ESPN wants to do that, it's a forward-thinking company. It wants to be on the forefront of everything. Um, yeah, we should cover that. Let's, you know, let's put it out there and see how the public reacts. Um, and that kind of brings me to my own, you know, need to compete and desire to compete. Um, I try not to be an overly competitive person in, like, day-to-day -day activities, but I'm a very... I do have that itch that I like to be scratched. So over the past five summers, I've actually raced go-karts. Um, so like real racing go-karts, full driving suit. I have a helmet in the other room, you know, racing gloves, uh, neck collar, the whole nine yards. Um, and these aren't just like um, amusement park go-karts, like a real deal. There's no roll cage. There's no seatbelt. Um, you know, when I flipped it, I got hurt and scratched my helmet and, um, you know, I've still got scars, like real deal. Totally loved it. Wish I was more successful at it, but I've got my trophies and I've got my wins and I've got my memories. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a real athletic event. Um, you know, it kicked my ass that first year. I was just out of shape, didn't have enough muscle and it was really hard versus the last year where it was pretty, you know, I'm much more in shape and can do it. But another thing I've also done, uh, not last summer, but the three or four summers before that was play the Pokemon trading card game competitively. So again, um, it involves a lot of the same thing as athletics, you know, practice, preparation, money, of course, and um, then the actual act of competing and the, the nerves that go with that, um, you know, and the, the thrill of victory and obviously you know, being defeated kind of sucks. So I did both of those for the last few years, and to me they were very much the same. They both took up a large part of my time. Um, they both kind of tickled that, uh, scratched that competitive itch, and to me they were virtually the same. Racing around in a go-kart versus, you know, sitting down at a table and competing directly with the person in front of me with cards felt very similar. So when ESPN covers a video game tournament, to me, it feels the same. It is the same. Um, it's a competition. Uses different parts, you know, of your mind and things like that. But you know, a competition is a competition. You know, whether that's bowling or whether that's poker, right? ESPN has covered the World Series of Poker since I can ever remember, and nobody complains about it. Um, so that's kind of funny too. Um, so that's now on ESPN's website. You can go on ESPN.com and next to NFL and NHL and NBA and whatever, um, there's like a more. And when you click that, there's eSports and they have eSports coverage, articles and videos and um, I assume streaming and things like that in the future to kind of legitimize that as a sport. And I personally think that is really, really cool. Um, we can see that entire businesses have been built up um, on this whole premise, like Twitch TV and, and some of the ones that happened before that, um, you know, were created because people really enjoy watching people play games. And then obviously that moves into competition and being competitive. And I think it's great. And I, I hope ESPN is successful. I hope it kind of legitimizes uh, video games, um, not only as a hobby, but as a, a competitive thing that people can do. And, you know, people will be celebrities and, you know, you'll root for people and it'll be everything, you know, that uh, a physical sport is in the virtual realm. So I kind of welcome that change. I think that's really terrific. 
Final thing we're going to talk about before we wrap things up here is going to be a question from a viewer. This comes from Douglas Harris on YouTube, and he says, A next topic you could discuss is why modern games have detracted you and likely many other primarily retro gaming enthusiasts. So obviously if you've watched this channel, I don't review many modern games at all. I maybe have a couple of Wii U reviews, and then even the previous generation, PlayStation 3, Wii, Xbox 360, not much. Mostly old stuff from the from the 90s and early 2000s. So I've kind of been thinking about this um, all, all week. So this was presented to me on Monday, so I've had a lot of time to think about it. And I've kind of got four reasons here. So the first immediate thing that kind of popped into my mind was music. So my taste in music and probably your taste in music hasn't really changed much since you were between like 18 and 22, right? That the music that was, you know, most influential to you as a young adult is probably what you carry with you forever. So, you know, an older generation of people really dig, like, um, you know, hair metal from the 80s. And before that, you know, maybe the rock and roll from the 60s. And um, myself, you know, pop punk from the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, other bands like Weezer and Nirvana, you know, that really spoke to me as a teenager. Um, I really dig that and I haven't really let it go. Now, I still enjoy discovering new music, don't get me wrong. I've got a, a nice record collection. Most of it is stuff I listened to, you know, a decade ago. But I still add new stuff that, you know, really grabs me. And that's kind of like what video games are, right? The the Sonics and the Marios and the Crash Bandicoots and, you know, what have you. The, the Midway and Sega arcade games from uh, the late 90s are kind of what I still enjoy playing. And because there's so many, you know, games from that period, I can keep discovering new stuff from that time period without having to really, you know... I just don't have a lot of interest in new stuff, and there's plenty of old stuff out there for me to discover. And so I have, that's what I do. And so I kind of equate that to, to the music. The second answer, however, is price. So a new Xbox One or PlayStation 4 game usually costs around $60. So if you buy two games, that's $120. That $120 is actually the same price that I've spent on retro games over the last couple of months. So for $120, here are the games I've most recently purchased. So Red Faction on the PlayStation 2, Shadow the Hedgehog on the GameCube, Blinks the Time Sweeper on the Xbox, Sly Cooper 2 and 3 on the PlayStation 2, Mickey Mouse Capades on the NES, Super Empire Strikes Back on the SNES, the Lion King on the Genesis, Chippendale Rescue Rangers on the NES, Jackal on the NES, Mega Man 2, Toy Story, and Contra the Alien Wars all on the Game Boy. So that is 13 games. So for the same price of two brand new games, I purchased 13 retro games. And for me, that's kind of about value. Um, will I get $60 of entertainment out of a brand new game? I'm not so sure, but I can tell you Red Faction on the PlayStation 2 cost me $5. I played for 10 or 11 hours and totally got my money's worth. Absolutely all the way. Right? Easy. $5. 10 hours of fun. $2. What? 50 cents an hour for entertainment? Like, you can't beat that. It's fantastic. Um, some of the other games are obviously less good. Toy Story on the Game Boy is pretty awful, but the game was $2, so whatever. I can just trade it back in for 50 cents. I'm out $1.50. I will probably make that back on the ad revenue. And, you know, it all kind of works out in the end. No big deal. 
Um, but it's kind of all about value. I think I will get more value out of those 13 old games than I will out of two brand new games. Um, other people, it's going to be the opposite. They're going to play these games and say, oh, the graphics are awful and the voice acting is terrible and, you know, I'm not really having any fun. And that's cool, too. Um, I recognize I'm in the minority, you know. New games are always going to be more popular than old games, and that's okay. Makes older games cheap. Kind of my that value system for me works in other mediums as well so i have a really large dvd and then blu-ray collection hd dvds too but i have a really large movie collection i have way more movies than video games um but most of the blu-rays i buy are like in the five to ten dollar range i very rarely go out and buy a brand new blu-ray for the for twenty five dollars um very rarely once in a while, like when Star Wars uh, Force Awakens comes out on Blu-ray, I'll buy it on the very first day. Because I'll get $30 worth of value out of that. I'll watch it at least a dozen times. I'll listen to the commentary tracks and the special features, and uh, I'll really dig that. And I'll get my money's worth. But on a lot of new movies, they're just not worth $20 to $25 for me. So most of my collection is from used video stores. Um, there's a lot of them in this area. I assume they're all over something like Half Price Books, which is all over the country. You can get a lot of movies for five bucks. Or not a lot of movies for five dollars. There are a lot of movies available for five bucks a piece or seven bucks a piece. Or um, like one of the stores around me, you can get new releases for like eleven ninety nine. Well, okay, I'll buy Guardians of the Galaxy for eleven ninety nine. Absolutely. Not twenty five though. So it kinda in other areas of my life, um, I just bought uh, Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans on Blu-ray from the Walmart bargain bin for $7.88 a piece or whatever they are. So for the price of one brand new movie, I got three used movies. So I've got, you know, six or seven hours worth of content for the same price. So that, like I said, with video games, it's the same thing. The older stuff is just a lot cheaper. So 10 years from now, I might be finally, you know, scratching the Xbox One's library because it'll finally be at my value point. So there's the, like I, so the first two answers, again, the price or the value, and then just kind of interest level as you get older. The next one is time. So a brand new game, I don't like playing games that are 20, 25 or more hours long. Um, I don't have that kind of attention span, and if I buy a new game like Oblivion on the Xbox 360, I put 50 hours into that game. Didn't even come close to beating it. I don't even know if I made it halfway. It's just too big, too much to do. Um, I forgot to save at a certain point and lost a couple hours of time, and I literally put the game on the shelf never to play it again. So I'll never beat that game, and that's kind of unfortunate versus an older game like Sonic the Hedgehog 1, which takes me about 45 to 50 minutes to beat. And in that four to five hour time frame, I can play through it many, many times. And that is what I really enjoy doing. I like that repetition. I like the fact that um, when I reviewed Contra, the Alien Wars on the Game Boy, I could play that game four or five times through before I did my review versus Red Faction, which I only had time to do it once. But I had a lot more fun playing Contra um, because I got to play it multiple times and learn all the intricacies of the controls and memorize the layouts and boss patterns and which weapon and item is best for which part. Like Those things really excite me. Same with Mega Man 2 on the Game Boy. Multiple playthroughs. Um, and I got to like the game and enjoy the game a lot more because it was a lot smaller. So that is what appeals to me. So there are modern games that are kind of like that. Um, 
Shovel Knight, I think, got criticized for being too short, which in my mind is like, that is going to be my kind of game. I don't want to play that game. I don't want it to take me 10 hours to beat on the first time through. I want it to take just a few hours so that I can replay it over and over and discover all of those hidden secrets and, and become intimate with those controls and all of that. So that is really exciting to me. So time is the third reason. I don't want to play a really long game. I've got some, I've got RPGs. A lot of times people ask me to review RG, uh, RPGs. Like I've got Lunar on the Sega CD that I really want to play, but I don't, just the thought of playing it for 25 hours is just a daunting task that I don't want to do. Um, Super Mario RPG on the SNES. I've actually put a few hours into that and then I just ran out of interest and never played it. To completion and therefore haven't reviewed it in fact the only rpg i've ever reviewed is uh, the final fantasy oh man whatever the bad one is on the snes that everyone hates mystic quest maybe um the beginner rpg that's me loved it but it only took me like 12 hours like that's kind of my limit and then the the final reason is online. So I don't really have that much interest in playing online anymore. I don't really know why that is. Maybe I don't want to play with a bunch of, you know, teenagers, you know, shouting out obscenities. I have no idea. Back in 2005 with the Xbox 360, I would play Project Gotham Racing 3 online with like the same core of people all the time and I had an absolute blast. I loved it. But I don't really have that anymore. Um a lot of my skills or my ability to to play a modern game have kind of eroded and it would take me a really long time to kind of get competitive again to where I'd want to play online and actually have fun because if I go online and play Halo with anyone I'm going to get destroyed and I'm not going to have any fun but modern games are really um, a lot of modern games are built around that online concept even on the Wii U like Splatoon like that is meant to be played online but I don't really have the time or energy or desire desire to kind of get my skill to that level where I can have a lot of fun online. So because a lot of the best and most popular modern games are kind of driven for that kind of commitment and being played online, they just don't appeal to me. So kind of a long answer there. Those are my four reasons why I prefer retro games. I'm not opposed to modern games. I'm, I'm, I love technology and, and new things, you know, the Kinect and stuff like that is exciting and virtual reality like we talked about last week. But for now, um, you know, just my interest being stuck to that time period, uh, price and value, uh, the time it takes for a game, and then that online focus are why I prefer generally to play those retro games uh, over something newer. So with that, guys, that's all I had for you today. Um, if you like what you hear, definitely check out uh, some of the archive podcasts at implantgames.com, and I'll see you all next week. <laughs>